bright and colorful good day to you all, everyone, and welcome to Wii Universe. This is the show where we are playing every single game in the Wii U catalog. And goddammit, there are very few of those games left. Uh, there's today's game, Paper Mario Color Splash, and then uh, three more titles across two more episodes. And holy shit, we did it. That's crazy. Amazing. That's crazy. I never, th I never thought we would make it. It's insane. This one definitely seemed to go faster than the N64 one, but we did con we condensed a lot more. We we did. Well, multiple... also, I believe the catalog is about a hundred games lighter. That helps. That definitely helps. <laughs> it does yeah. make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Stay tuned to our next series where we uh, where we play the Virtual Boy and are done in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes, so, uh, yeah, like, like I said, uh, today we are playing the game Paper Mario Color Splash. My name is Steve Guntley. Hello, I am Woody Siskowski. Um, I'm feeling, I'm feeling rife with color. I've been, I've been hit on the head with a color splash hammer and am, uh, back to my vibrant old self. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, and I, you know, I didn't come up with a clever thing, but let's just assume I'm made of cardboard today. Sure. Why not? Hey, look. Hey. We're podcasters. It's not our job to come up with clever things. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's for the listener to supply. It's for us to say stupid stuff and you decide if we're joking or not. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, exactly. that's my whole strategy. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I'm excited to get into the game today. Before we do, let's talk about what else we are playing right now. Have you got anything new and exciting going on? Well, I have something old and exciting. No, even better. This was a game that I... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I recently guested on our friend Scott Berger's Friends of the Pod and personal friend of mine. Um, he has started his own uh, podcast. It is called Grog Pod, which stands for Going Rogue on Gaming Podcast. Nice. Um, I, clever name. Um, I remember that it was about roguelike games, so I tried to search for Going Rogue Podcast, and there was a bunch of like weird anti-government podcasts, oh, and no. I'm like, okay, I hope Scott isn't buried under this, um, but if you remember Grog Pod, you can find it. Yeah. Um, and the game that I wanted to be on was FTL. Have you played FTL? It's been on my list for a long time. I've never gotten around to FTL. I've, Ooh, I've, will... I've played a shitload of Into the Breach, yeah. which is from the same uh, uh, creators, but I've never touched FTL. Yeah, FTL much more unforgiving than Into the Breach, which is already a pretty unforgiving game. It can be, yeah. Um, yeah, but oh man, it is fun. I played it a ton in 2012. I pulled right when it came out. I pulled up my uh, it in Steam, and uh, I had 80 hours in on it. And now I'm I'm back in. They've sucked me back in, and Very so nice. that's what I was doing literally minutes before I came on this call with you. Excellent. Um, it's kind of a Captain Kirk simulator. Um, you just, you fly through space and in, have different alien encounters. And most of it is built on this really, really well-designed combat system where, um, you have to reroute power to like your weapons or your shields and, um, target different areas of the enemy ship. The thing that I love about, um, subset games based on, you know, this and into the breach is the way the game the enemies and you play by the same rules. I love that in games yeah. where like you understand the way something will interact with the enemy's ship because that's the same way it will interact with your ship. And so you can, you know, send your guy, teleport your guys over to their ship to like kill guys on board or, you know, lock, lock your doors and sort of choke people out um, who teleport to your ship um, by opening the airlock. It just works really, really clean and is very addictive and very, very hard and frustrating. I uh, have the achievement of beat the game on normal, 
which sounds like, you know, kind of the default achievement of most games. And you know how Steam tells you, like, what percentage of players have that achievement? Right. The percentage of players who have beat the game on normal FTL is like 8%. I've, which, I've heard of that about this game. They're like even beating it on easy is something of a uh, of an accomplishment. Yeah. So, that's, so that's, I, that's pretty badass. I've put 80 hours into this game. I think I beat it on normal twice. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty wild. And like, yeah, just for context, like, yeah, I recently beat Elden Ring. And like, if you beat the last boss in Elden Ring, like the achievement rate on that is like 30%. Okay. So, it, yeah, it, it's pretty silly, but it is a really addictive and fun game. And even even when you don't win, which is going to be the majority of the time. So big thumbs up for FTL, a game that holds up great even 10 years later. I think I need to finally download that and give it a try because, uh, yeah, I... I had uh, Into the Breach back on my Steam Deck, and I've been playing it a whole lot, and it's yeah. just super great. And uh, I, they, yeah. I learned that on, when I was guesting on Scott's Spot, there's new content to Into the Breach. Is there really? They, yeah, they released new content like a few months, like five months ago, maybe. So you were probably playing with it, but there's a whole second page of like Mech Squad stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, there and was new missions and stuff like that, and oh. I'm ready to, after I get done being sucked into FTL, I'm gonna get sucked back into the breach. I get so like monogamous with my mech types in that game like i just get so used to how each one like performs so mm-hmm. i i tend to like stick with the the just one which is my most toxic okay. trait i think uh you know it's something sure. i'm i'm in therapy i'm talking it over uh so on my end uh i've been beating games this week woo yeah. always satisfying mm-hmm. i i finished uh god of war ragnarok with nice 100% and a platinum trophy very proud of that. No, uh, no small feat. There's, I'm imagining there's quite a lot of content in that game. Quite a lot of content, and it kept me wrapped and interested the entire time. Uh, I think it's a pretty excellent game. I'm excited for whatever comes next for that series. Would you Would you be excited if the next God of War plays and looks kind of the same, or are you ready for them to do another mix-up? Do you want another Kratos redesign? Do you want another different area of mythology i don't know you know i i you know i i was initially complaining that it felt a little bit too samey and then after reaching the end of this one i i would like at least one more i would like a trilogy set in this style and then maybe we can recontextualize kratos in another era or something like that but uh, mostly it's because you see a whole lot of growth in Kratos over this game, you know, like never once in this game. And I, I was really paying attention. Never once did he refer to Atreus as boy. He's, mm. he's showing him respect. He's letting him take the lead. He's letting room into his life for friends and humor and love, which is <laughs> just what I'm working like, on with my therapist. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. talking about your monogamous mech habits. <laughs> mine is mine is I'm too much like Kratos in the first God of War. And I want to be more like Kratos in the second God of War. <laughs> I mean, honestly, aspirational, like it, yeah. it, it weirdly, it's one of those games that makes the other games in the series better, you know, like mm. looking back at what kind of like a, a stereotypical toxic rage monster Kratos was in the first trilogy of God of War games. Like you really get to see the growth and like what a person he's allowed himself to become and how you can move past all these like toxic uh, kind of behaviors. So it's, it's pretty impactful. Like I, I and it's a surprisingly like warm hearted game. Very uh, cool. Yeah. For, for a game with so much snow in it, uh, very warm hearted. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I beat that game. I beat uh, Gree, which I was playing on uh, my Steam oh, yeah. Deck. Very pretty game. I mm-hmm. I didn't realize. I felt like a dummy. It took me all the way to the end of the game to realize, oh, okay, this is like a metaphor for like the the stages of grief. Each level is a different like stage of grief that you're working through. Uh, okay. So it's 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 very pretty. Very hard to see a lot of the time uh, because sometimes <laughs> the the screen will just zoom out so much that I lose track of my little uh, character. I have noticed that occasionally with that with that style of game. I think people get the designers get so caught up in like having a beautiful landscape and kind of like sweeping colors yeah. and things like that that they forget. Oh, the most important thing is that you can see your character. That was the same problem I was having with Ori and the Blind Forest, which is another mm-hmm. game I I haven't finished because I just I don't know. It was it was kind of a struggle to look. It was like a joy to look at, but also kind of a struggle to look at. You know, is that same split? It's it's a game. It's like something that you would rather look at as a painting, like in a museum, Kinda, than like yeah. something that you want to control. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's closer accurate yeah um and as for new games i just started uh, a game like today called uh the forgotten city which is uh kind of a cool approach to like a a a mystery adventure game you play as an archaeologist who discovers a a roman city an ancient roman city uh, in a cave under the ground and uh, you get mystically traveled, you uh, warped back in time through this portal and you get to go see the people that were living in this the, this weird forgotten city. There's only like 23 people living in the city. So you get to meet and uh, learn about all of them. And then you're trying to solve like various mysteries. And if you fail, there's a time loop mechanic where you have to make your way back to the portal and get sent back in time. And then you can uh, approach these mysteries with the knowledge that you have from talking to the people previously. Uh, so I'm I'm in the very early stages of it, but I'm intrigued. I'm I'm curious to see uh, what happens in this game, and uh, it's got a cool look to it. It's a it's a nice mix of like it it kind of looks like an older game, but with like newer technology. If that makes sense, it, hmm, it's, it's okay. It is a 3D game, and it has, it has you know what you know what's a good way to put it. It looks like very high res Skyrim. Well, I'm I'm reading I'm reading the Wikipedia page right now. And it's uh, it's in like a full. It started as a mod for Skyrim. There it is. So okay, you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, they definitely they they move and talk like Skyrim characters, but they have a higher fidelity and uh, just kind of uh, good voice acting. I'm I'm intrigued by it so far. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what else this game has to offer. But uh, yeah, like I said, did, just started it. Did you read the uh, the top fifty video games of the year from Polygon? No, I didn't. Is that out? Though, yeah, it's out. Those Polygon lists are always really interesting and creative like it's amazing how many games they spotlight and it really makes me realize that there's no you're just you're never going to play everything like there's so many things that sound weird and intriguing and i'm like oh i want to know like you know like like the, the the genre of kind of like murder mystery games yeah i think there's like three of those on the list which is why your forgotten city like kind of reminds me where it's like narrative games where you're kind of trying to get to the bottom of a mystery where i'm like oh these sounds so cool um it's it's a a, like a weird genre that is not often done well right but like when it does when it works well it's really fun and i think this has been a good year for it um but it's just like I really am curious about these games, but then in the end, I just go back to playing FTL and I'm like, uh, that's okay. It just, at the end, I just, you have to sort of 
be okay with what you end up playing as long as it's enjoyable. Yeah, you know, you're you're gonna like what you like, and you gotta you gotta just roll with it. And you're and you're never gonna play at all. Like, no, you're not. if you're no. enjoying, it's like it's easy to like. I don't know, kind of look down one's nose at someone who's like, the only game I like is Call Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and that's just all I play. Yeah. Or I just only want to play Fortnite, or my roommate, I just only want to play Final Fantasy XIV. There you go. Like, all of, you're like, ah, but there's so many games out there. But at the same time, if you're finding joy in this one game you saved a lot of money and like why 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 fault you on that yeah exactly and i i find since i i always feel so compelled to like finish everything i start Mm -hmm. you know like i i find it very frustrating if i put a little time into a game that i'm finding mediocre and then i'm just like you know all right well i'm feeling kind of stuck here like i feel really compelled to finish this just because i don't like leaving things unfinished that's just my own like quirk uh, I mean, that's but, kind yeah. of a good transition uh, to the game we played today in terms of putting time into a game you found mediocre. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's yeah. a that's a good way to put it because I did put like a little more time in this than I was expecting. Yeah, um, this game's very inviting. It is, yeah, there's, and there's a lot to like about it, uh, but it, yeah. it's got some some frustrating elements. Let's... This is like a this is like a Shakespearean level of tragedy. Yes. Um, laying in front of us of. Uh, Paper Mario Color Splash. Well, yeah, let's let's dive into that because we've we've talked about Paper Mario. Splash, in, uh, splash into it. Yeah, let's splash into it. Excuse me. Let's let's uh, uh, get all inked up. Yeah, the uh, Paper Mario is a series we've talked about in the past. We we played uh, the original for the N sixty four. It was number two on our aggregated yeah, number list. Number two, a list that or like I think a point that we both still stand by and like are pretty much in agreement, like. That game is in, at the very least, the top three Nintendo 64 games. Absolutely. And I, I played it again, uh, I think, maybe about a year ago when it popped up on uh, Nintendo Switch Online and holds up. It's a blast to play. I played it through all the way to the end and I had a really great time doing it. It still it still looks great. It still plays great. Um, and so followed up. Again, we didn't. We we haven't talked about is Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door for GameCube. Another uh, many many people would define would uh, defend that as the better game, as maybe the best yeah. game in the franchise. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. I I don't quite like it as much as the N sixty four one. Um, I'm, I'm with you there. Is, yeah, but it is still a great great game. And so, kind of at that point, like they're like great. Nintendo's found is two for two on this franchise. I guess three for three if you count Super Mario RPG. Yeah. Um. It, it, and so then it's a question of like, where's where's Paper Mario gonna fold off to next? And get it's carried by the wind in a new adventure. And it's been kind of a, a surprising case of like diminishing returns for this series, yeah. which uh, has been really surprising because it really felt like they had locked into something. Uh, they made a couple of choices that I think are a little baffling. But let's let's dive into it with Paper Mario Color Splash, released October 7th, 2016, developed by Intelligent Systems, published by Nintendo. And this is a Wii U exclusive. This one is trapped on the Wii U. It has not made it over to Switch. It's probably not likely to, because this is uh, uh, generally... I mean, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but this is generally considered by fans to be the worst game in the franchise. Okay. Uh, I don't know that I'd go that far, but I haven't played all of them. Um, sure. And this game could be ported. Yeah. There are is Wii U functionality here, but it certainly doesn't have to be here. It, it in would, in ar- many ways, it just it makes better. things worse. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, so they could certainly port this to Switch. Um, it, it, the thing that's sad is like if somebody put, you know, 
six months worth of a company put six months worth of effort into this, they could port this to Switch and make it a great game. Yeah. Like it would and you just kind of keep the bones of what this is and you just kind of and you change the the things that suck about it. Uh, yeah. Which are simultaneously a big part of the game, but would be easy to change. Exactly. It's in that weird position where like, yeah, I, I think, well, well, we'll we'll get into it. Uh, so the the original Paper Mario, as we discussed, that came out in 2001, pretty late in the N64 life cycle, but it was a big hit uh, and it kind of helped inspire a new franchise. Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door came out in 2004. Again, it's just a really good, really solid like RPG that blends platforming mechanics with RPG mechanics in a really mm -hmm. clever way, you know? And both of them, both of those halves of the game are fairly simple. Yeah. Like the RPG mechanics of Paper Mario are very rudimentary. Um, in some ways, I feel like that makes it a selling point. Yes. Like, I would get so tired of, you know, Final Fantasy where your attack does 9,876 damage. Yeah. Where in Paper Mario, you're like, your jump attack does one damage. <laughs> and if you jump twice, it does two damage. Pretty, and you're like, great, I could do this math. Pretty simple like, math. Every 100 uh, uh, XP, EXP points, you level up. That's it. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a flat number. You know, and they did such an excellent job of bringing in like timing and uh, uh, platforming elements into the combat itself. So it was always engaging. It was always fun to take part in these little random battles. And, and the aesthetic, both visually of like this 2D world, a couple of weeks ago we played um, Yo Yoshi's uh, Woolly World. Yeah. And I talked about how Yoshi's Crafted World doesn't grab me as much because we've seen like this paper craft stuff before. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen it on all the Paper Mario games, yeah. like the idea of stuff kind of folding in and out of the background. Um, and Paper Mario games have done it really well. Uh, so that made it sort of less appealing as a Yoshi platformer. Yeah. later, and, and made the yarn more appealing by, as, exactly. a, as a standalone. Um, so from here, from after Thousand Year Door, however, Nintendo did something that they are typically kind of reticent to do, which is they started experimenting with Mario. They started experimenting yeah. with the Mario game, and that's not something they typically do. Uh, and this started with Super Paper Mario, which came out on the Wii in 2007, which kind of smoothed over a lot of the RPG mechanics of, of that series. And instead... Well, which is to say, it, it got rid of them. It got rid of them entirely. Like, that game's not an RPG at all. No, no. And uh, uh, they, they had some cool ideas in that game. Like, with a button press, you can go from 2D to 3D. You know, and because of the way the world is all built with paper, that there's a whole other world hidden behind the little paper facade, you know. I had so much trouble with that mechanic. I feel like that came around out at a similar to Paper Mario came out at a similar time as Fez. Oh, yeah, a yeah. A game that I simply cannot wrap my head around. Like, I, whenever a board game has, like, some sort of spatial placement mechanic, I, like, just my brain collapses. Okay. And um, that was very much the trouble I had with Super Paper Mario. Like, I can't process how this sort of 3D mechanic works, so I don't understand how to use it, how to solve puzzles. Yeah. And this uh, this one, Color Splash, has another mechanic in it that is kind of reminds me of that, that I have trouble wrapping my head around. Yeah, it, it's like, I, I like Super Paper Mario fine. Like, it's, it's a game I played once and never really felt compelled to revisit. Um, but it was still not really what I was looking for when I bought a Paper Mario game. You know, it's like right, I, I, I really connected with that combat system and those RPG mechanics that they had in those first two games. And this yeah, one you're, you're not yet sick of it. No. Like, that's the thing is you're like, yes, I love this in the first two game. I'm ready for more. And 
yeah, Nintendo is usually so just willing to recycle the same things over and over. Yeah. Like it took, you know, it takes decades for like meaningful changes to come for something like Pokemon. Yeah. Um, because it's like as long as people are still buying the series, Nintendo's going to stick with it. Or like Fi- Fire Emblem, for all its polish, is essentially the same kind of game it's been since the NES days. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, and it's not like Paper Mario. I mean, Paper Mario The Thousand Years Door sold perfectly well yeah, it did. Um, for a GameCube game. I know it was a player's choice. And so it's just so bizarre that I, – and I mean, it's one of the great mysteries of Nintendo is why won't – they make paper Mario RPGs anymore. Well, I think the, the logic that they applied to this was that, okay, we've got two Mario RPG series running concurrently right now. We have paper Mario and we have the Mario and Luigi games for game boy advance and DS and three DS. Okay. And I think they decided we only really need one Mario RPG series at a time. Okay. So they stuck with the Mario and Luigi games as kind of the, the flagship Nintendo Mario RPG and then those were all on handheld. They're all handheld. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the problem. You know, if you want a console Mario RPG, you're kind of out of luck. Um, so this game was followed, uh, super paper Mario was followed up with the game paper Mario sticker story on the three DS in 2012 sticker star sticker star, excuse me. Uh, and this is when fans were kind of actively starting to turn on the series because they criticized that the game had no real strong story. You didn't have any supporting characters uh, in your party anymore. And generally, like, there are all these, like, sticker-based mechanics that just didn't really work very well. So, yeah, have you have you played Sticker this Star? This is the one I have never played. Okay. Yeah. I have played Sticker Star a decent amount. Okay. And I think that Sticker Star is really Color Splash could be Paper Mario Sticker Star 2. Right, that, um, that from what I understood, these are pretty similar. Yeah, because Sticker Star like does have RPG mechanics, but all of your moves are dictated by having a stick. Like every time you want to jump on an enemy, you have to use one of your sticker items. Okay, and, or um, you don't have any sort of default attacks, and so you have to like be constantly finding these new stickers to make it through the battle system. But there's no like, there's no level up mechanic. So it's this weird engine of find stickers to be able to fight, fight to get more stickers. Yeah. And so you're like, wait, why am I doing any of this if the only reward is to be able to do more of it in which isn't that fun of a system in the first place? Right. Yeah. Um, it it also uh, – Sticker Star also has an overworld um, similar to Color Splash where you go from sort of stage to stage. So it doesn't have – sort of that feeling of a big uh, connected world the way uh, Paper Mario and Thousand Year Door do. Yeah, and we have a little bit of that too. We have like more of an overworld kind of map where you can, you know, it, it makes travel fairly easy and I like that it's uh, self-contained little stages, but I agree, like I, I do miss the open world environment of it and the, the feeling right, of discovery. Right, but it very, it very much removes you again from that series of like this is a Mario adventure when you have that overworld, it immediately brings you back to something like Super Mario World, which is a great game, yeah. but is like this is a platformer with segmented off levels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like you said, this one, they they did kind of decide to double down on a lot of the sticker mechanics. They didn't call them stickers anymore, but it is still kind of doubling down on that combat system with uh, battle cards instead of stickers. And I think I've talked in the past about like 
for whatever reason, I have a big mental block when it comes to card-based battles in RPG games. Mm -hmm. Like, unless you're telling me this is a card-based game like Hearthstone or, or Slay the Spire or something like right. that, then I tend to just kind of tune out. So that was already well, kind of a disappointment for me. And it doesn't it doesn't really make sense. Like Mario has spent Mario has spent literally his whole life jumping. Why all of a sudden does he need to use a card to be able to jump? Yeah, yeah. Like, like where where is that coming from? Uh so you know, and, and fans kind of agreed. Uh like I said, this is the lowest selling and I think the lowest critical reception. It's still got pretty good reviews because, you know, uh, even a bad paper Mario game still has a lot to recommend, you know? Yep. Uh, but you know, it, it, I think it made it very clear that if the series was to continue, it was going to need to be overhauled to a certain degree, which is, uh, I think last year, two years ago, we got, uh, uh, yeah, 2020, we got paper Mario, the origami King, which does bring it back. To, I, I tried playing that for a little bit. Uh, it definitely does bring back more RPG mechanics. You have leveling up, you have party members, you have things like that. I did not like the combat system in origami King. Uh, that's all about like rotating like wheels and and mm. lining up like uh, your attacks in a certain order. I know a lot of people. I I think I'm harder on that game than a lot of other people. People liked that game more than I did. Um, but it's definitely like a bit of a course correction. Like they're still making it weird, but they are making it more recognizably into an RPG. It's just so odd. Like I, I think the company that made the uh, Mario and Luigi RPG series has recently gone under. Oh, that's a bummer. Um. Yeah, and I know, like, I think those games are good, and a lot of people like them, but, like, I I do hope, like, if that's not gonna, that series is not gonna continue, that Nintendo is like, okay, now we can have one Mario series that just has very traditional RPG mechanics, because it's so baffling to me, like, to have this combination of making things, putting more work into complicating things, and making them worse. Because it's one thing if your battle mechanics are kind of unambitious and like don't work very well um, because you're like, OK, they were they were lazy. They were trying to save money or something like that. All of these um, Mario games have like battle mechanics that are much more complicated than something in uh, Paper Mario or the Thousand Year Door. Mm. But they're just consistently worse. I just want like standard like intuitive fast moving rpg battle mechanics yeah. and it's just so odd that they're pushing like all right we're gonna really we're gonna really put effort to like f crack the battle system here and it's like you cracked it you cracked it in 2001 it worked it great worked perfectly you got you were, yeah. you went right out the gate very strong and then you kind of like started over complicating things and then under complicating them and then re-complicating them you know like you're yep. you you had it right you had it right and then you dodged away uh, so this is weirdly the second game in uh, about three weeks, which is about uh, color being stolen from a cartoon world. So oh, we've, yeah. we've, we've struck upon a theme here uh, <laughs> after Kirby and the Rainbow Curse. So, uh, you know, the, the story of Paper Mario is always very simple and very funny. Like, I, I always appreciate how, how witty these games are, how much, like, dialogue yeah. there is and how much, like, they're having a lot of fun with their legacy in these games, which is why I think they're always uh, nice to drop into. And I think this one does a wonderful job. Like, I do feel like my criticism I remember of uh, Thousand Year Door is that game is very wordy. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. it's funny. Like, the dialogue is still funny, but, like, characters just talk at you for a long time. Yeah, they really do. He, here, I feel like they find a nice balance of characters say funny things. They say enough that you kind of understand what you need to do and what's going on. 
but then you just kind of get back to the game. Yeah, and I appreciate that for sure. Uh, the game opens up with uh, uh, Mario and Peach being sent a toad that has been folded up into the mail and sent to them as like some kind of warning. Uh, sure. So they need to sail to this uh, mysterious island called Prisma Island, which is way off the coast somewhere. Uh, they they arrive in this little ghost town, seems to be abandoned. It seems like there are large patches of color that are missing from the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they encounter a, uh, a little talking paint can named Huey, who they it starts off as 3D and then they squeeze it until it becomes a little 2D shape. And he gives you the ability to add color to things with your hammer. Uh, and this color is being stolen by shy guys with straws, which I think mm-hmm. is just really funny. I think they're running around with little straws, so like jabbing people. And they make it is kind of disturbing, like to imagine somebody jabbing you with a straw and essentially sucking out your pigment. It is, yeah, it's like... a little terrifying. And they make some funny jokes in there about like kind of Second Amendment jokes about how like my right to bear straws and like you know a good guy with a straw, things like that. They, they it's actually like a little subversive for a Nintendo. It was kind of they were talking about how um, this toad like wanted to ban straws, and it's like in Washington we have like banned straws. Yeah, like yeah, you, it's you true. cannot get. You cannot get plastic straws anymore. It all has to get through like this cardboardy, papery straw. And you know what? Which mostly is fine. I, I am – look, I'm, I'm in favor of that, Like, but I think you got to go reusable straws. You got to go like metal straws or something because those cardboard ones are nonsense. Like, Yeah, they, they, they are pretty bad. I think you, they will not last you the length of like a, a medium Coke, you know, if you want to like drink your water through. Uh, they should issue everyone like – a silly straw at birth like yes. hello welcome to earth here is your assigned um your assigned silly straw would you prefer like uh blue you know blue pi- blue pineapples or uh or you know red i don't even know red 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 yeah, red little red wagons yeah, little red wagons, and then that's just assigned to you, and a replacement fee is $5, and whenever you go to a restaurant, you have to bring your own silly straw. But then, like, the, the wagon people will start, like, uh, discriminating against the pineapple people. We'll oh, wars sure. breaking out. It'll be a whole thing, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm living in a utopia. That's Let's see. That's, that's Huckley's sequel to Brave New World is Brave New Silly Straws. Brave New Silly Straws, exactly. Uh, you know, yeah, like I said, the, the story is always, like, really fun and light, and... Uh, I, I think this is the best looking Paper Mario game. I, yeah, this game looks really good. It is good. gorgeous. Like, again, they, they just get the texture really right. You know, uh, everything looks like it's made out of actual paper. It's not just like a paper cut out of a digital figure. It has the texture and the grain of paper. And when they like and, fold or bend or everything, you see the creases in the paper. You can see the cardboard like poking out in the ground, like when you're walking on the surface. Right, like the de- like it seems like a weird thing to compliment it on because this game is built on being 2D. But like the depth in this game looks really good. Yeah. Like there's a lot of cardboard water wheels. Yes, that you sort of walk through and you can see like, oh, I see how that cardboard is a little more 3D than the paper. And that's something I always love when. Uh, games or movies are trying for like a, a visual consistency like this it's similar like in the lego movie when they they have that shot of the ocean and every mm-hmm. like wave is made of individual bricks you know here when you have that waterfall you have those water wheels the water coming off of the water wheel is like sheets of paper like uh, like post-it notes like yeah. falling off individually i'm like i love that that's that's really clever <clears throat> 
And uh, I do. Yeah. The the adding the adding of color to the world is a satisfying mechanic. Like mostly I wish that I wish it was a little more like something like Okami where there's like physical objects that are totally lacking color and you hit them and like they get imbued with color, which is the case a lot of places. But a lot of the time it's just kind of this flat white splotch yeah that you hammer and you just kind of hit the splotch and they can be kind of hard to notice and a little um, imprecise it usually will take yeah. like if you're not hitting it exactly right you might need to take two or three swings and and the problem is this this strikes me as more of sort of a busy work tedious thing even though like it's a well you know it, it works well and can be satisfying mostly you just get like three coins when you do this yeah. which allow you to buy more cards this this is something that I think would really benefit if this game had some sort of leveling up or RPG mechanic. I would feel a little more inspired to do that because maybe you, you know, you get experience for doing it or can unlock new skills or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I really didn't have a problem with like the overworld stuff in the game with the platforming stuff. I liked going around coloring no, in, coloring in the patches. Like that's, that's all very enjoyable. If that's all this game was, it would be a pretty fun game. The problem here is the combat system, um, which we got we got a letter last week. I don't remember who that was we from, did. but just kind of kind of warning us like, oh, is this really the combat system? And I guess I even with that warning, I was not really prepared for how ineptly designed and executed this combat system. It is. feels very half-assed, right? Yeah, it feels very uh, perfunctory, and it's it's kind of a problem. Like, all right, so the way that the battle mechanic in this works is you get a you get a, a deck full of battle cards, which are either so yeah, it, it seems the same as the initial Paper Mario's where you encounter enemies in the overworld and you can like hit them with a hammer or jump on them, right. And then it goes into a battle screen. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. like you that, said, those... you go into the battle screen, you get these cards. Yeah, the cards are they're either like black and white or they're colored in. If they are black and white, you have the option to use your own paint to fill them in, which will cause a little bit more damage. Then, and and I want to pa- I want to pause you yeah. here because it, it's important to like articulate how long and tedious each battle in this game is every single time. Um, yeah, because first off, these cards appear on, if you're playing on the TV, these cards appear on the gamepad, and by default, you can only control them via touch. You cannot select them um, using buttons. You can change that setting in settings, but it's crazy that it doesn't default yes. there. So you have to slide through them with your finger drag the attack up that you want and then um, accept it, click it again to accept. And then you go to the next screen where it gives you the option to paint the card or not. Now there's no like painting mini game where you actually have to fill in the lines. You just hold your finger on it and fills up with color. And like, this is already kind of shitty because the enemy's damage is not shown with numbers. They're get like, they kind of get folded down and I could not figure out any meaningful difference in damage between whether the card was colored or black and this white. This was the big problem that I had, too. You also will get items that will either be, like, regular or worn. You know, you'll get, like, a yep. shoe with, like, a split sole or a hammer with a, uh, a patch on it, you know. And those are supposed to be less effective. But the thing is, this keeps that uh, timing-based mechanic from earlier Paper Mario games in place. So if you press the A button at exactly the right time before landing on an enemy, you'll jump again and do more damage. Which is, which is very easy. Which is very, very easy, especially if you played Paper Mario games before. But even if you haven't, you'll get on board with it pretty quickly. 
And in other Paper Mario games, you could string it together like maybe twice. In this mm-hmm. game, your default is five jumps in a row. So regardless of what weapon you're using, uh, if you just jump five times, you're going to kill the enemy in front of you. Like almost right. every time. So it really doesn't matter if it's worn or uh, colored or not. Like it's it's all going to be about the same. And like a lot of enemies provide... And I'm not saying that this game should be hard. Like none of the Paper Mario games are hard. No. But many of the enemies provide next to zero threat to you. You start with 50 health and an enemy's default attack deals three damage. You can block it to have it deal one. And there's a bunch of hearts strewn about the world that totally refill your health. Mm. So it's like I was fighting these sort of floppy shy guys that had just gotten out of the water and they couldn't damage me. But like my default, just like the 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 fights in this game, even if the enemy poses no threat and you can kill them in one sort of attack, take probably what, a minute? Yeah. Like. Because you, there, there's a third step to combat that we we neglected to mention. After you paint the card, you have to flick it. You have to like throw yep. the card from the gamepad to the TV, uh, which and, I get why they're doing that. Like I know they're trying to make it a little more interactive, but it doesn't really add anything because we're not seeing the card flying onto the screen or anything. No. It's just initiating and the attack. You can set like – so in the settings, you have three options. You have the default, which is only touch controls, which is the worst. Yeah. Your second option allows you to use buttons, but you're still getting these three initial screens of select card, choose to paint card, flick card. And then your final option is advanced touch, which allows you to do the selecting card and painting in the same screen. Um, But there's no option for advanced with buttons. So it's like you have this devil's bargain of do I want to skip that paint screen and be stuck having to touch it every time? Or do I want to be able to use buttons but have to, like, have that third screen every time? Yeah. And it's just – it's insane. Like, yeah, it's this combination of – I don't think that this is a good combat system. I think that it's slow and unwieldy and not satisfying just, like, from a design perspective. But, like, the execution of it is just so clumsy. It just really like, is because it feels like there's no real balance here. There's no – there's never a point where you're not going to win a battle. Like I, right. I, the only way you can like lose a battle is if you're just like completely using the wrong items or just biffing all of your attacks, which you're not very likely to do. The game is very forgiving in that sense. So you're amassing all of these cards, most of which you won't really use. You know, you can always find more cards. Plus like, you know, there's no, there's no kind of risk or reward for like painting or not painting your cards because you're never going to run out of paint. If you're running low, all you need to do is smack the environment a little bit until globules of paint fall out, and then it'll recharge it really quickly. So there's no real real sense of urgency or balance to any of the stuff happening in this combat system. And it's just very odd because there's no sort of RPG mechanics like the game or like leveling up mechanics. The game gives you no incentive to battle enemies. Yeah, I I found avoiding avoiding battles was my like uh, my was my main goal, you know, and you can avoid them. Yeah, but like not always. Um, And it's just very it's just very weird. And I don't really understand how, you know, this this sort of premise was pitched and they got this gameplay and they just decided to stick with it. Like that somewhere along the line, they're like, hey, before we put more money into this game, like, let's get this combat system 
running smoother or let's put some other mechanic in here to incentivize people to want to do combat something um, yeah because like you said like there's no leveling up mario is as strong at the beginning of the game as he will be at the end of the game like there i think you get yeah you, your, your max hp goes up and like that's about it a yeah. little a little later you get the ability to submit two cards at once oh sure which yeah doesn't make things any better a lot of the times i didn't need to use both slots to take care of right. things you know and if you ever do run out of attack cards you have like a little roulette wheel you can bring up at any time you pay 10 coins it'll give you an option of different attacks that you can use and those are often going to be better than what you have on hand anyway right <clears throat> and like the, so the the wii u gamepad really just becomes a hassle because if you're playing on the tv you have to look down at the gamepad whenever you're in battle and then you know you either touch use your touch screen um and then it's that same thing i complained about this in an earlier game i don't remember but like when you're playing on the tv the wii u gamepad is just this bright white screen yeah um which again i really don't like because i'm i'm holding i'm laying in sitting in bed holding this under my under my eyes and I'm looking at the TV and this white light is just coming up from the bottom into my eyes. Um, You can set it to um, just play on the game pad, which works fine. And like the, you don't lose anything in the combat. Um, How does that work? I I only played it on the TV. Like how does it work if you do just game pad? It it just, um, the, the cards, you know, the card selection screen just covers your screen. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, so that still works. The, it works exactly the same. You just can't simultaneously see the battle that's going on. Which is fine. You don't need to see what's yeah. going on. Like and I don't even, if from a mechanical perspective, I don't even think you have the ability to select what enemy you want to attack in this. No, I don't think you do. Yeah, yeah, you just have to attack whoever's first in line. You know, I there were a few things I liked. I like that occasionally there are, <clears throat> excuse me, there are, more powerful like item cards that you can find like i i found a a a, a fan like a rotating mm-hmm. electric fan I, I crushed it down i made it into a card and then i used it in battle and basically it's like a big final fantasy attack where there's Cute. this whole like cinematic moment of like a fan coming up over the earth like it's the rising sun like it's that big and then it blows away all the enemies on your screen and and this was something from Sticker Star as well, also had this mechanic. Okay. Um, and I think you can use these to solve puzzles later. Yeah. Um, but it feels weird to have like sort of these giant at one time attacks because once you use the fan, it's gone. Yeah. Where like most enemies, like none of the battles are tense at all. So you never really feel the incentive to use this aside from just like, I wonder what weird animation will play. Now, I, I played for maybe five hours five six hours okay. like i uh, did yeah. you ever encounter like a boss fight i never did um no i got to like the citadel that i thought oh here's gonna be a boss fight but then i was not able to open okay. it okay yeah so. yeah so i just I, I haven't seen i'm curious what like a boss would look like in this game i haven't yeah. seen any uh the other mechanic like when you're in the overworld is they have a kind of a cutout mechanic right which is uh by pressing and holding y you'll see like a dotted line if you line it up with a certain area in the environment then it'll go down to your gamepad. You can trace the dotted line, and then you'll cut out that section of the environment and jump into it, uh, which is kind of a clever idea. It'll help you traverse over different obstacles, or you can leave items into the environment. You can find hidden cards. Um, it, I, I, I like that is, well enough. It is cute. This was what I, this is the mechanic I was talking about earlier when I was criticizing the spatial aspect of my brain and Super Paper Mario, like. I can't quite wrap my head around what's actually happening here because yeah. like I get that you like see a mountain in your background and you sort of you 
can then cut it out because it's a certain shape and then Mario will teleport there. But I'm like, I don't really understand spatially what is happening. Like if Mario has the ability to teleport, why shouldn't this game be a hundred times easier? Like why am I even bothering doing anything? And so it's like this weird thing where you have to line up shapes in the environment, but you have to look at it from a certain angle. Like I could tell, like in that sort of mountain area, I could tell like, oh, it wants me to use the cutout area here. So I kept getting close to it and holding cutout and nothing would happen. But and I had to move farther back towards like a different bridge so I could see the complete area on my screen. And then it worked. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I don't like things where puzzles where they only work like, you know what you're supposed to do on the puzzle, but it only works if you're standing just in the right area. Yeah, yeah. No, those are always kind of annoying to me. But I, like, I, I, I thought this was clever enough. I thought it was a good use of the gamepad, but it also just it didn't necessarily add much of anything for me. Right. Um, you know, but it, it's it's playing into the paper element of it, which, you know, I could appreciate that they have the theme going on there. You yeah. Know? No, I mean, this game does a very, just like all the Paper Mario games have done, like this game does a very good job of exploring the paper themes and this game looks great. It sounds great. It's very colorful and inviting. Like, yeah, it's very easy to play, but it is a big problem where if, if you're actively avoiding half of the game, that's kind of a problem, you know, that's kind of a problem because if if half of the game is no fun, then, you know, you're, you know, 50% is an F, you know, like that's, that's not, that's not good enough. And that that's what's so in like the first, you know, Paper Mario one and two, like neither the combat nor the platforming in those games is spectacular. No, but like they both complement each other so well because you're finding like things in the environment that help you in combat. And as you level up in combat, you get new abilities in the environment. Um, whereas here, like the inv- walking around the environment is good, but it feels totally separate from the combat aside from you just getting finding new cards yeah. um and conversely like the combat feels totally <clears throat> separate because like no no abilities that you learn in combat will help you navigate the world right and so it's like this game would be more fun if they just pulled the combat out completely uh, yeah uh, yeah which but that's like a huge thing to lose you know that's like yeah. a huge uh, knock against it if that's something that isn't functional you know so it's yeah, a bummer. Exactly. It feels like but a missed opportunity because there is there is a lot here to recommend, you know. Um, and and it's just hard. Like it, to me, like this is these are the most disappointing kinds of games because like it's a game where you're like, boy, this game would be great if they just fixed if it just didn't have this one thing that kind of ruined it. Yeah. Even though that yeah, because that is a big thing. Like if this game just was kind of a traditional Paper Mario style RPG, I'd be playing it right now. I would be I would be like sucked in and all in on it. Um, and here there's just I don't know, like we, there's so many games we have the option of playing, like I was talking about, you know, with the Polygon top 50 or whatever. And it's like if this game if there's an aspect of this game that's just going to push me away, even though there's so much of it that's sort of inviting me in, I'm just going to stop playing. Yeah, it. yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it, too. Um, are we ready to move on to our rankings? Yeah, I think so. I think we I think we I think we about covered it. Yeah, um, I, I will go first on this one. Each week we are adding the games that we just played into our master list uh, to determine where they are in the ultimate rankings here. 
for me, uh, Paper Mario Color Splash is going to be my new number 49. That puts it underneath the okay. uh, Splinter Cell Blacklist and above Watch Dogs. Um, like I said, there's there's enough here to recommend it by. Like, it, it is a very funny, it is a very beautiful game, and there's a lot of stuff that I do like about it. I found it very playable. I found it very, yeah. like, it was, it was, I was not struggling to play this until the combat scenes came up, you know? So that is just a big loss, um, and it's a big problem against the game if you can't, you know, enjoy one of the most significant gameplay elements of it. So yeah. 49, I think, seems fair for Paper Mario Color Splash. Yeah, I'm basically light right with you. Even though we kind of came out on a sour note of pooping on the combat, um, like, this game is really inviting. I, I think it's a kind of a hard game to recommend in the sense that, like, you should go play the first two Paper Mario games yeah. and like in pretty much all circumstances. And then if you want more Paper Mario, like you're still going to be disappointed by this, but at least it is more Paper Mario. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to put it, um, I'm going to put it actually right, right where you are also. Um, I'm going to put it at number 50, which is right behind Guitar Hero Live. All right. That works. Perfect. Well, let's move on. We have a couple of letters here. Like I said, I've been getting such amazing, uh, lovely letters from people, and I'm sort of spreading them out over these last couple of episodes before we wrap up. Uh, so if you haven't heard your letter this week, don't worry. We are getting to it. We're just kind of we're savoring them. They're all very, very, very <laughs> sweet, exactly. very kind. Uh, this first one says, Dear uh, Woody, Steve, and guest, when I first stumbled into your podcast, you were deep into the N64 catalog, and I had recently moved to central New Jersey from the West Coast for a postdoc job. It was a big adjustment mixed with stressful temporary work, so it was nice to have your disembodied company along the way. Kind of like Garrison Keeler minus the rhubarb jingles. I could count on you two to keep me company on long road trips. Well, it's been a quiet week in... Uh... <laughs> And Lake Nintendo 64, our hometown, <laughs> where all, all the all the games, half the games are above average, <laughs> just because that's how math works. <laughs> yes. uh, I kept listening throughout the stay-at-home times, and your side project got me to finish Infinite Jest, catching up on your Yay. commentary on long walks and trips to my apartment's complex's dank laundry room. Now on the <laughs> other side of moving once more, settling into a new city with my partner for what looks to be the long haul, I realized mm. that the N64 and the Wii U series spanned a significant transitional period of my life. I wonder if you feel the same way, too. Thanks so much for that new episode every week. I hope you still get together to make things every once in a while. Even when you're finished with the project, I will keep downloading them. Now, And mm -hmm. I know you've answered this before, but I would, love, I would appreciate hearing the origin story of your friendship and how this podcast concept eventually became the thing you did. Same guest, your, uh, all the best for your future endeavors, and that is from Tom in Pittsburgh. Thanks, Thank Tom, you, Tom in Pittsburgh. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah this this is this has spanned huge transitional periods in in, <laughs> in my life. You know, like it's not something I talk about often on air, but you know, about two years ago, I got divorced. You know, and it was kind of sudden and and unwanted and and really really hard. You know, and I had to move, and then I moved to another city, and like they, you know, just lots of lots of big kind of life altering changes and uh i i was personally very grateful to have you know woody and this show as uh, it, it really was a nice anchor you know it really kind of helped mm -hmm. keep me grounded to have something structured and something that i can keep coming back to you know and uh uh it did uh, yeah it, it definitely spans some major transitional periods for me 
Yeah. yeah. No, well, I was I was glad glad to be there for you, and I'm glad that we were able to keep doing yeah. it. You know, sort of as other things were in flux. Um, should we talk about the or, the origin story a yeah, little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we. Um, I, yeah. I remember um, we were both in the place Spamalot, which was going on at our local uh local theater guild yeah. mm-hmm. and i i don't think either of us had done a play there before no. but since we're both you know dorks um we're like oh monty python we're in um <laughs> nyer, and nyer, i nyer. was cast I, I was cast as sir bedivere and you were sir robin mm-hmm. and i remember i have a vivid memory of us being in like the upstairs of a ch- i think it was a church yeah those first um, rehearsals were in that church yeah where we were just doing the read through of people's different lines and i sort of saw you there scrolling on your phone and I'm like, mm, I should probably try to be friends with this person. <laughs> like, I don't know what it was about. Maybe you were wearing some kind of like nerd related swag or something, it is possible. but you're, you're like, I was like, this person seems like they have a vibe I would connect with. And then I remember sometime late, you were kind of hesitant at first and somewhere down the line, you recommended the movie Riccio, the story of Ricky to me, okay. what we were rating backstage. And I'm like, yeah, this person gets me <laughs> like they, they, we're clearly on the same page of, uh, of what we like. Oh yeah. We, I would, I would have bad movie nights at my house that you would uh, always come to. And those were, those were always a good time. And then, yeah, for sure. And I, I don't remember when the idea, I mean, I, the idea for the show must've been like, we started in November, 2017, and I think I was like picking at the idea for a few months before that. Well, because you had you had a complete collection of Nintendo sixty four right. games, and you're like, I want to do something with this. And I remember you had you had wanted to start a, a podcast with some other idea yeah. initially. Yeah, um, I don't even remember. Driven by your love of BMX XXX, I believe. Oh yeah, obviously, yeah. I wanted um, a whole BMX Triple X episode, <laughs> yeah. podcast series. <laughs> Um, and then you eventually came down on this because you're like, all right, playing every every game is something. It's a more distinct premise than just we talk about BMX XXX every day. <laughs> and um, I think I pitched myself. I'm like, hey, you should have me as a guest because I or as, as your co-host because I think I would be good. Yeah, at it. and and I immediately agreed, and then that <laughs> that was that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And- and yeah, the first game we 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 were down in your basement playing Space Invaders for the Nintendo sixty four. Yes, and it, uh, I imagine that first episode is still perfect and very easy to listen to, and uh, not won't at all make me better. cringe. I think it probably has aged better than you would think for two guys who had no idea what they were it's doing. It's true. Yeah, we we yeah. Yeah, I mean, we still don't know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> the times of transition, but the more they stay the same. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you, Tom. That was a very nice letter. Um, our next one says, "Hey, Woody, Steve, and all the guests that have ever starred on the show." Perfect. Uh, there that's you go. good. That's that's uh, you got a lot of cover a lot of ground there. <clears throat> I just wanted to hop on the sappy bandwagon and express how much <laughs> joy. This show has brought me. Oh man, I I had a sappy bandwagon and like I couldn't drive anywhere because it's stuck getting stuck to the ground. Oof. I'm like this bandwagon's too damn sappy. Damn it. I gotta uh, oh, wipe I'm, it I'm off. Sticky yep. all the time. Yeah. Uh, you two and sundry guests have been a constant, reliable source of entertainment for the years that I've been listening to the show. Whether it's a masterpiece like Rayman Legends or a complete anomaly like Quest 64, your commentary is top notch <laughs> and always keeps me laughing. I'm very appreciative that I was able to guest on the Metroid Dread and Outer Wilds episodes and will oh, yeah. again highly recommend the DD Patreon series to anyone who hasn't checked it out yet. Anyways, I just wanted to say thanks and that I'm looking forward to whatever creative projects you may venture in the future. Now a question. 
What is your favorite platformer level theme? Think of examples that are common or uncommon in games like Banjo-Kazooie and Mario, like Spooky Castle, Tropical Beach, Winter Wonderland, etc. My personal favorite is from Rocket Robot on Wheels. One of the final levels of the game is called Food Fright, and it combines candy and horror themes for a perfect aesthetic. The the platforms look like candy bars, the enemies look like marshmallow spiders or gummy bears, and you're swinging over pits of boiling chocolate vats or sharp candy cane pits. It may be my favorite platformer theme of all time. Hope you are all well and have a happy and safe holiday season. And that is from Joshua. Thank you, Joshua. Joshua, Uh, Joshua, I'm right there with you. That's what I was going to say. Food themed platformer (laughs) levels are the best. Um, My favorite is from Earthworm Jim 2, level 8 ATE, where it's a breakfast themed breakfast themed planet. So you're jumping across these uh, sort of you know, diner skillets with uh, forks and eggs on them. And then the salt shaker comes from the sky and tries to drop, uh, drop salt on you. There's also a, uh, there's a candy theme level in the new, uh, newer Mario Kart DLC. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is a really fun level. Yeah. So I mean, I, more of that. I do enjoy a good food level. I think I got to go, uh, uh, haunted castle. I got to go spooky levels. Uh, those, those always Uh. tend to be my favorites. Like, I, I weirdly love that Mario 64 haunted house level with the killer piano and all that crazy stuff going on in there. Oh, that's like the worst level in that game. Oh, no You're crazy. TikTok clock is the worst level in that game. Oh, TikTok clock is the best no level. No way. No way. That one, that one, maybe it's not the worst level. It is the level I am worst at. Yeah, uh, it, it is very I hard and with that one, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. I always love the aesthetic of a like. There's a really good one in Banjo Kazooie where you turn into a little pumpkin and you, you creep around yeah, everywhere. It's real. It's really cute. Yeah, I I always enjoy a haunted castle. I don't know. That's just fair. Me. You're a spooky. I'm boy. a spooky boy. If there's one thing we've learned about you, you're a spooky. I'm famously boy. spooky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we have one more letter for today. This says, "Greetings, Steve, Woody, and possible guest. I just listened to your episode on Zombie U and wanted to chime in with my opinion on why you don't see certain genres mixed with zombies." Being a recovered zombie movie fanatic, I wanted to mention the (laughs) long-forgotten pinnacle of the justifiably failed sexy zombie subgenre and probable cause for why it hasn't really been attempted again, Return of the Living Dead 3. To me, no movie better explains why you don't see many sexy zombies since its release in 1993. I wouldn't recommend watching unless you're curious about what what a zombie looks like when dresses like a goth dominatrix. Uh, honestly, I was just looking for an excuse to finally write in and thank you both for the five years of great episodes <laughs> and happy listening. I've been a fan since episode four, back when the show was Ultra 64, and I was staying home with my newborn and craved podcasts like yours to fill the void of adult conversation in my life. Your banter helped a lonely guy feel a little bit less alone at a time when 90% of my human interactions were nonverbal or involved bodily fluids of some kind. So this show meant a lot to me. I truly uh, hope to hear more from y'all in the future, and that is from Eric. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, very, Eric. Very, very kind. Uh, have you seen Night of the Living Dead 3? I, I have, yeah. Return of the Living Dead 3. I, I mean, of course, of course it's, you have. It's been, but... it's been a while. I remember quite liking that movie. I did not find it sexy at all. Uh, but I did, <laughs> you know, it's, it's basically it's about a guy whose uh, girlfriend gets bitten by a zombie and, rather, and he's just unable to bring himself to kill her. You know, so he oh, sure. he's just like trying to find a way to keep her alive. But uh, I forget exactly what happens from there. I, I remember it being fairly well done, but again, not sexy in any way. You know, not, a, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I, I, I do agree they were trying for that. You know, the cover art, if you ever see it, is the, the female character in her goth dominatrix finery, you know. And uh, I think when you just bring rotting flesh into the equation, I'm just kind of out, you know. 
Um, sure. You know, that's 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 not a judgment call. It's just you know, not for me. <laughs> but uh, no, I remember that movie being okay. But it's it has been a while. All right, I have no opinion. Okay, perfect. <laughs> that's why I'm such a good podcaster. <laughs> you got to bring bring a no total opinions. lack of opinions. Oh, it's directed by Brian Usner. Oh yeah, it is. Director yeah. of the greatest movie ever, Society. Yeah, man, that movie is fucked but... up. I love Society. <laughs> Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for writing. Like I so said, we have a few more letters. I'm spacing them out uh, because we have... We will get to you. We promise. We have three more episodes of this show total. Three more. We have we have two more episodes talking about games. So then we're going to complete the Wii U catalog. And the last episode of the year will be our wrap-up episode. We're going to aggregate our lists. We're going to go over the entire series Probably at length. I think our N64 wrap-up was like a four-hour episode or something yeah. like that. I mean, this by default should be a little shorter just because there's fewer games. Should be a little but shorter, but um, a I'm not prepared to, to strap in for that. But yeah, we've only got three left, uh, so it, it's it's crazy how fast it is sneaking up on and us. They- and they are they are big games. Are um, big the next next ones they're they're big spatially. Big spatially. The ne- next 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 we're playing Assassin's Creed three and four. Yes. And uh, we we're gonna leave it a mystery. I bet I bet if you do some sleuthing, you can figure out what the last game we're gonna play. I think is. you can probably figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but for next week, check out Assassin's Creed three slash Assassin's Creed four Black Sails. Uh, is that what it's called? The Black Yeah, it's called Black Sails. Um, and, uh, we will be playing those and, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So thank you everybody for listening and we will see you next time. Bye. I am a nightmare walking, psychopath talking, king of my jungle, just a gangster stalking, living life like a firecracker, quick as my fuse. Been dead as a death, back the colors I choose. Red or blue, cause of blood, it just don't matter. Something died for your life when my shotgun scattered. Color. The gangs of LA will never die. Just multiply colors.